How many minutes does it take to open a bottle of furniture polish? How many seconds to get into a can of drain cleaner? Keep your child safe. And keep the number of your poison control center where you can get it quickly in an emergency. No one goes for seconds in the Poison Squad's lunchroom. I'm Torrin Atkinson. America's health sure improved when they got the lead out. I'm Joe Fulgham. Unadulterated sugar? Don't be daft. I'm Dr. Jenna Mocha. What's not to lick about this episode? I'm Kevin Leeson, and this is Caustic Soda. Toxa City. Ooh, where's that? Uh, it's right next to uh, Poison Town. Okay. And okay. Uh, a, a, a river of arsenic runs through it. It's in Toxa City? Uh-huh. It's the worst place you can find yourself in the Civilization game. Yeah. Toxie City. It's all green and glowy. <laughs> no, in fact, it's toxicity, which is derived from toxic, which is from the Greek toxicon, which means poison for use on arrows. Toxicon transform into... <laughs> Something really gross. Derived from toxin, which is bow, which is probably a Scythian word that was also borrowed into Latin. Astaxis, which means you. You. The wood. Oh. Y-E-W. Y-E-W. As a, the thing that bows are made out of. You. So, yeah. So, toxic, which has nothing to do with bows and arrows, comes from bows and arrows. Okay. Well, because they, they, they would put poison yeah. on the arrows. Yeah, mm-hmm. precisely. Fear of poison is iophobia. Fear of being poisoned is toxophobia, toxophobia, or toxicophobia. Mm-hmm. Which, any preferences? Anybody like one over the other? Toxicophobia, because it has the most syllables. <laughs> oh, okay, I like it. Toxicity is the degree to which a substance can damage an organism. Toxicity can refer to the effect on a whole organism, such as an like animal, me. bacterium, or plant. Which or one torn. are you? I'm an organism. Oh, yeah. And under that definition, I submit to you that a bow and arrow could be rather toxic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poisoned yeah. or otherwise. Bullets toxic as well. Uh, as well as the effect on a substructure of any organism, such as a cell, cytotoxicity, or an organ, such as the liver, hepatotoxicity. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hepato, meaning liver. liver. Uh-huh. Oh. A central concept of toxicology is that effects are dose-dependent. Even water can lead to water intoxication. Call back to our poison episode. Right. Yeah. When taken in too high a dose, whereas for even a very toxic substance such as snake venom, there is a dosage below which there is no detectable toxic effect. Right. Yeah, just a little, just a little tiny taste. This is it, the just thing that bugs me about people when they talk about toxins in the environment. I'm like, yeah. yeah, yeah, toxins in you, toxins in everything. The problem is when you get too many. Joe, by saying that, you just prove what they're talking about. Everything's a toxin, though. It's absolutely right. And if you look at sort of the the curve as far as toxicity, you know, there'd be a certain range of concentrations where it starts to be really toxic and below that you're seeing basically nothing and above that you're seeing everything dead and for lots of things that are either medicines or nutrients that you actually need like Mm -hmm. water like calcium like a bunch of other things that we actually need to consume and survive the curve for that will look like you know at, at a very low concentration you're getting no beneficial effect no detrimental effect And then so everything's sort of dead because, you know, it needs that calcium or whatever. Mm. And then at a certain concentration, you see that the curve goes up. Everybody's happy. You know, you have a a wide or narrow, depending, but, you know, some range of concentrations in which everybody's fine. And then, again, a certain range of concentrations where people start to die off again. So, uh, Dr. Jenna, you're the expert in this category. So a toxic dose of calcium, is that just when somebody takes a bone and hits you over the head with it? That is one way that calcium can hurt you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure, sure that, that that's be... how we would refer to calcium toxicity. Blunt force But it's trauma. one way that to- calcium can hurt you. Uh, there are generally three types of toxic entities, chemical, biological, or physical. Chemical toxicants include inorganic substances such as lead, mercury, asbestos, hydrofluoric acid, or chlorine gas, or organic compounds such as methyl alcohol, most medications, and poisons from living things. Radioactive chemicals fall under this category, but are not toxic because of their chemical nature, rather because radiations emitted by nuclei destroy cells and tissues. Mm-hmm. You bet. So, what about yeah. when someone's like totally negative and they just have it like a toxic effect on you? <laughs> I think that's delving into the realm of metaphor, but you, yeah. I might okay. be corrected. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Biological toxicants include bacteria and viruses that can induce disease in living organisms. Physical toxicants are substances that, due to their physical nature, interfere with biological processes like coal dust or asbestos fibers. 
So those are your three types of toxicants. How Chemical, is- biological, and... Physical. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it should be noted, too, that some of the biological toxicants, they might use a, a smaller, like a, a, a chemical toxicant to actually have their effect on a human. So right. while we say, you know, like this particular bacteria might be toxic, it might be because it actually makes something or puts something else out into the human body right. that is actually causing the toxic effect on particular cells. It's like a chemical delivery system from a biological Sometimes. source. Yeah. I mean, for the purposes of this episode, the vast majority of toxicants we're going to talk about are chemical toxicants. Mm. Okay. There are, we do delve into other categories, but most of the physical toxicants probably will fall under other episodes that we will do. Yeah. You right. know, like our mining disasters when we talked about coal dust. Mm-hmm. We sure did. Right. It is more difficult to determine the toxicity of chemical mixtures because components may interact to produce enhanced or diminished effects. Common mixtures include things like gasoline, cigarette smoke, or industrial waste. Even more complex are situations with more than one type of toxic entity, such as the discharge from a malfunctioning sewage treatment plant, which would have both chemical and biological agents commingled. Mm, commingling discharge. <laughs> there's nothing. There's no way you can say that to make that sound good. I think I saw that porn, actually. Yeah. It was pretty gross. Common symptoms caused by toxic substances, fever, vomiting, diarrhea, stomach cramps, characteristic oh. toxic effects. Rapid hair loss occurs with heavy metal Ooh. poisons, such as arsenic, <laughs> antimony. That is, oh, I, heavy that, metal is poisons. that is ironic that heavy metal poison causes hair loss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here I go again on my own. They're overcompensating. Ding, ding, ding. Well, maybe that's they, maybe that's why they all wear those big ridiculous wigs. Yeah, and there you go. They're all bald underneath. Brittle fingernails and thin white lines observed Ooh. across the nail, known as Mies lines. What are Mies also Mies lines? Uh-huh. M E E S, as opposed to yours lines. <laughs> Mies yeah, lines. Yeah, because mm-hmm. Mies who's, fingernails. Whose lines? <laughs> oh, Mies <laughs> lines. Uh, these are also consistent with heavy metal poisoning. And those are stripes on oh. your fingernails. Yeah, yes, they're white stripes that go sort of horizontally across your fingernails and can also be a sign of renal. Renal failure, so failure of your kidneys. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. My renum. Small speckles on the skin can be indicative of chronic arsenic poisoning. Right. Odors emitting from a corpse can also be a significant clue of toxicity. Oh. Some pesticides elicit the scent of shoe polish. Okay. I, I don't even know what shoe polish smells like. <laughs> oh, really? I... That's how many times I polished my Converse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, the, the thought of shoe polish reminds me of my dad, which oh, is okay. from years and years and oh, years Oh, maybe your dad ago. was poisonous. Well, that would would explain why my my mom left him. (laughs) Yeah, precisely. Uh, Vacor, a kind of rat poison, produces an odor similar to peanuts. Delicious. Mm -hmm. You you find a body, smells like peanuts, stick them in between a couple of bread, throw some J on them. Also probably be a squirrel poison. Potassium cyanide or sodium cyanide, when ingested, mixes with stomach acid and forms hydrogen cyanide. Hydrogen cyanide carries the fragrance of bitter almonds. But due to a genetic oddity in humans, only 40% of us can... Actually, smell it. Really? Mm-hmm. There's a, Does that there's go a with all bitter like almonds, uh, or just hydrogen and cloth up? Whoops, right. Hydrogen cyanide. Not a good listener. I'm gonna go with all almonds. Okay. Yeah, I'm just like come <laughs> taking it down on sure. my ass. Yeah, uh, I Nobody... think I'm in the forty percent. Yeah, that's I'm right. I'm gonna suspect that that's not true, but <laughs> some examples of chemical toxicants: mm-hmm. nightshade, Atropa belladonna. Mm-hmm. Uh, although all parts of this plant are poisonous, the shiny black berries are the most poisonous. Mm-hmm. The words but they're so shiny. <laughs> <laughs> you do like to eat berries off of things like that you find in the forest. I've seen you do it. Shinier the better. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now we know how to get rid of torn and make it look like an accident. Mostly the shiny ones are the ones the dogs have peed on. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna double it. You just it up. can't replace. You just can't replicate that flavor at home. Of, of dog pee. I'm not just gonna shine up those berries. I'm gonna polish them with shoe polish. Ah, yes. The double whammy. That commingled toxicity. <laughs> Torin is sure to die. The words belladonna translate to pretty woman in English. This may have come from the use of belladonna to dilate the eyes in order to make a woman more attractive in the Middle Ages. Belladonna. How do you do that in the Middle Ages to dilate someone's eyes? I do not know. Maybe they with take a little shade. bit. Of it. Yeah, take a little bit of it. And their eyes go wing like because they're going into shock or something. Okay, weird. The alkaloid atropine is the chief active ingredient, which can be used clinically to decrease salivation, paralyze muscles, and during surgery to regulate the heartbeat. You mentioned that it's an alkaloid. So this means that it's a compound that's derived from amino acids. Okay. So in our body, amino acids are the molecules. The meanest. They're the meanest of the acids. They are the meanest of all those, the acids. All those amino acids. But, amino was his name. You know, they're like the bullies that, you know, they're around, but you 
don't want to get rid of them completely because worse stuff will happen because these are what string together to make all the proteins in your body and almost everything in your body is made from protein. Therefore, you need your amino acids. Right. And because we're efficient and because of the way evolution works. Some um, more efficient than others. It's true. Uh, <laughs> Joe, we're looking at you. <laughs> the amino acids aren't just used to make proteins. These same sort of building blocks are also modified to make all kinds of other things, such as neurotransmitters and different things like that. So, uh, Neurotransmitter, get... is that the thing that I had in my basement when I was like 12 and like, you know, breaker, breaker, you know, big buddy? That might be what you called it. <laughs> but a neurotransmitter is actually what nerves use to communicate either with each other or with muscles. So you get these little chemical bursts that come out of the end of, a, um, of one nerve cell and either go into another nerve cell or go into a muscle cell and cause an action. Right. Mm -hmm. So these little chemicals that they're using as these signals are made from these amino acids. And so toxins of this class, the alkaloid class, the alkaloid class are similar in shape to them so that they can um, they can interact with that uh, communication and screw it up. So for atropine, which is the active ingredient from nightshade. Yes. It it's does a, have the coolest name out of maybe all the poisons. Nightshade. Nightshade. I'm on a nightshade. Especially when you put deadly in front of it. Deadly mm -hmm. nightshade. Yeah. It sounds sexy. Yeah. Not, not, don't, not like that benign nightshade yeah. that everyone hears It's about. got the, uh, it definitely has the win in the PR department. There's no guesswork. It's like deadly nightshade. Yeah. They didn't stop it. You know, beautiful woman. I just yeah. leave it there. Uh, so what this does is it's a competitive inhibitor of some specific acetylcholine receptors. And and so these are the things that these chemical signals attach to on the other cells. They're sort of waiting for like, give me a signal, give me a signal, tell me what to do. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And so what this chemical does, it doesn't give it a signal, but it blocks up that receptor oh. so that it can't get that signal. That's um, the signal that says breathe. Yeah. Yes. Well, so there's two basic sort of Live. major it's, neurological it's systems in your body. And one is saying, do stuff, run, jump, go do stuff. Yeah. And the other one's like, sleep, digest, mm -hmm. hang out. I got it. Feel on the couch, right? Uh -huh. So the, the system that this compound inhibits is the sleep, sit on the couch, relax, uh -huh. which means uh -huh. that you get turned all your your nerves get turned on. Well, not all of them and not right. all turned on, but you basically go into a more fight or flight side right. of the balance than okay. the relax and digest side of the balance. Okay. Right. Okay. And that's why your your pupils dilate because this is what happens as part of the fight or flight reflex. You know, your pupils get big and your heart rate gets fast and you get your, flushed. Your, your senses are kind of on high alert so that you're ready to freaking give her. Okay. All right. So that's what happens with atropine. Right. Mm. Before you die. Be, yeah, because the lying down on the, and the, the digesting, you're like, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, get it. Uh, also found in nightshade is a drug called scopolamine, which in very dilute quantities is used to combat motion sickness and drug addiction. Hmm. Uh, before he became king in 1040, Macbeth supposedly used nightshade to poison an army of Danes who had invaded Scotland. It's a lot of nightshade. Would they have like fields of nightshade? Is that like f nightshade farmers? Maybe. Maybe that's what they just had them do. They just had them like march through. He di diverted them so they marched through a field of nightshade. Well, and if you're going to poison an RV with that, you really got to make sure that you give them enough because otherwise they're going to be just ready to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be all alert and dilated pupils and yeah. whatnot. No, but then they'll all look pretty to each other and then they won't be able to get out of the tent in the morning. Would we be able to quantify a lethal dose of uh, deadly nightshade? Yes, we can. Uh, and we'll actually get to that as part of our pop quiz, oh, so I'm not okay. going to give it away. All right, then. Got it. Strychnine. Made from the seeds of the plant Strychnos nuxvamica, mm. found in both Asia and Australia. This poison was first isolated from the plant in 1818 by two French chemists who also isolated quinine, which is used to treat malaria. Mm -hmm. Strychnine has been used as a performance-enhancing drug for athletes, Ooh. a slight hallucinogenic used to cut street drugs, oh, yeah. and most commonly as rat poison. Mm -hmm. Strychnine is an alkaloid that paralyzes the victim and causes death by respiratory failure, and there is no antidote. Oh, Wow. So that's the poison of choice then. Uh, it's a poison of choice. This is another one of those uh, neurotoxins. So again, it sort of mimics the action of a neurotransmitter, but right. doesn't do its job all that well. And this one is an antagonist, so it means it you know screws it up. The uh, glycine inhibitors. For, and this is for the modal motor neurons of the spinal cord. Oh, so oh. most of the time, glycine again would inhibit this interaction. So it would mean that. 
you put some glycine in there and the, the spinal cord says, muscles move. And the muscles are like, yeah. ah. Stay spiny. What, decrease the glycine. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the muscles are like, yes, go, 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 go. Move oh. that spine. Yes. And that's actually one of the ways that you can figure out whether or not someone has been poisoned in this way is because the muscles contract violently, like really, really violently because they've got no inhibition on them. I thought you were going to say because the dead corpse has like a spine that's like flapping around like a fish. (laughs) No, but bent. Oh, okay. So you can find people bent all the way backwards or bent all the way forwards or bent to the side because they had these serious dramatic and very violent contractions of their muscles. I have an anecdote to this effect. Oscar Derlewanger, the notorious leader of the SS Sturmbrigade Derlewanger. Derlewanger. <laughs> it does sound like the kind of name you can make fun of in elementary school. The SS Sturmbrigade Derlewanger was known to have murdered several Jewish women by stripping them naked and injecting them with strychnine. Ugh. He and his officers would then watch them convulse until they died as entertainment. Well, they didn't have cable. We're I talking guess. really, really, really dramatic convulsions. So you'd have, you know, nausea, whatever. You get nausea with everything. Convulsions, facial spasms that are so strong that they actually turn the face blue. Mm. Uh, prominent eyeballs, foaming at the mouth, uh, and basically you eventually die from asphy- asphyxiation, so suffocation, due yeah. to your diaphragm just going into convulsions and not being able to control the movement of air in and out of your lungs. Okay, this definitely sounds like a horrible way to go. Mm. Yeah, you, I, you, you I'm not s- interested. poison somebody with strychnine if you really want them to suffer. But quickly. Oh, okay. <laughs> Quick suffering. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. That's a plus. Uh, in the late 19th. 19- Sold. <laughs> yeah, you'll argue, you'll argue, okay, it was fun to watch them die, but at least I'm not a totally terrible person. <laughs> Another notable killer by strychnine was the 19th century serial killer Thomas Neal Cream who used strychnine to murder several people, primarily prostitutes, and attempted to blackmail important people as Cream threatened to ruin the reputations by revealing them as the perpetrators of the crime. So he would murder somebody, and then he'd call somebody up who had nothing to do with it and say, hey, I know you killed that prostitute, and uh, I'm going to tell the paper uh, that you killed that prostitute unless you give me money. But... Well, this is this is actually, funnily enough, this is how he got caught. How well did this work oh, for so, him? Well, surprise, Because uh, he would try me, and I would be like, um, no. Yeah, uh, I had nothing me. to do with it. Uh, he got caught because he called somebody and said, I'm going to frame you for the murder of this prostitute. What he didn't realize is that the coroner had actually determined that prostitute's death an accident. Ah. Uh, oh. So, so then they went, well, we, just, we thought it was an accident. So they exhumed the body, figured out it was poisoning, and then went, so he's the only one who knew that this woman was poisoned. Yeah. Case closed. Case closed. <laughs> now, arsenic is a me- metalloid element. Uh, it occurs in small amounts in air, water, and soil, and in greater amounts in volcanic ash, copper, and gold mines. It's also mm-hmm. used for strengthening metal alloys as well as a doping agent for semiconductors. Oh, okay. A doping agent for semiconductors. That's I didn't know they need why... to be doped. Well, that's probably why they're semi. Oh, okay. right. Otherwise, you know, they'd be full conductors. Yeah, otherwise, you get, you get be... those conductors in front of the symphony, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. going too fast. Yeah, so you gotta, and you have to dope them so, so they become semiconductors. I like where that went. <laughs> Various arsenic compounds are used to color paint and fireworks. What you're saying is that there's enough arsenic in there that I don't want to fire fireworks directly into my mouth. Yes, that's, that's the main reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to get so poisoned. You don't want to get poisoned by. It is also used to harden metal for ammunition and the process of bronzing. Arsenic has been used in chemical warfare as a pesticide and in many medicines. Arsenic is not a neurotoxin. It's, not, it's dissimilar from the alkaloids that we've talked about. As you're mentioning, it's a it's a metallic element. Um, and it also readily forms arsenic oxides, which are better absorbed by our body. So they tend to be more toxic to us than just pure metallic arsenic. Okay. And uh, it has a, a high affinity for thiols. So we have several proteins in our body well almost all of our proteins actually there's one amino acid that has a particular structure on it that this has a really really high affinity for so it okay. sort of is attracted to all of those proteins and enzymes so it's got a type yes in like the in the uh, lady colloquialisms well except for in that metaphor its type would be boobs and all women have some kind of boobs so it'd be attracted to most women okay yeah <laughs> just like whether they have more or less boobs um, so then what it really does, it really screws us over, is that it shuts down 
the production of ATP, which is like the major energy molecule in all of our cells in each of our bodies. Okay. And so it shuts down production of this. So suddenly our cells themselves aren't able to produce their own energy from the food that we eat and the Ooh. oxygen that we breathe. That's okay. like a bad thing. Oh, uh -huh. it's, it's quite a bad thing. And so each of the cells... Um, they're trying to use oxygen, they're trying to produce energy, and they just can't. And so suddenly there's all this extra oxygen lying around. One of the ways to diagnose this as well is that you might have a uh, quite pink skin color. Okay. Because the blood is, all, all the venous blood that's usually bluish. Yeah. Now, it, it hasn't <laughs> been oxygen depleted because the cells can't use the oxygen. So instead of being bluish, it's still red. Right. And so you have both the, the blood in your veins and your arteries being red. And so you can get a pink skin color. Okay. But this especially affects cells that are trying to have a very rapid uh, use of oxygen, like your brain cells. Because they just can't use that oxygen anymore. And it leads to all kinds of effects in every system of your body. So multiple organ failure. Okay. All right. Stomach cramps, diarrhea, confusion, convulsions, vomiting, death. All that. Nice. <laughs> in the 5th century uh, BC, Hippocrates used arsenic to treat ulcers. In 1910, an arsenic compound became the first effective remedy for syphilis, later to be replaced by penicillin. Yeah. Arsenic derivatives are still used to treat African sleeping sickness. In 1890, William Osier found arsenic the best drug against leukemia, and today it remains an effective chemotherapy agent. So, like, this is kind of an interesting part of the whole toxicity thing. And so kind of what we alluded to off the top is that whole, you know, at low dosage, it does no harm. At high dosage, it'll kill you. And somewhere in the middle, it becomes medicine. It pretty much seems that every single one of these has some kind of medicinal effect as well. They can because they will all have different effects. And like I was talking about as far as, you know, affecting these cells that are trying to use oxygen really quickly more than cells that aren't trying to use oxygen as quickly. Mm -hmm. um, it has some kind of targeting effect. So for tumors, for example, they're growing really fast. They're metabolizing really fast. They're trying to, the cells are multiplying quickly. Mm -hmm. and yeah. So they're using a lot of oxygen. This is going to really... At the very least inhibit their growth. Yeah, but yeah. more than cells that aren't doing right. all that much. It causes a lot more damage because they're trying to overuse those systems right. more than other cells that aren't which right. is why it works well against leukemia exactly. so oh, okay yeah, so it's a poison that more effectively targets things that want to use more oxygen and cancers use more oxygen right yeah as well sometimes you want poison <laughs> uh we talked about odors emitting from a corpse we did well for arsenic it creates a garlicky smell oh i like garlic <laughs> delicious mm -hmm. murder by arsenic was popular in the middle ages as the substance was easy easy to procure and the symptoms of poisoning resembled those of cholera yeah Mm -hmm. It was said that a little arsenic improved the taste of wine. <laughs> Depends on the wine, I guess. Well, it's like, I mean, some wines, almost anything's going to improve that. Well, this is kind of just like eating the fugu fish, right? Is that like you're rolling the dice, right? Oh, you know what? Uh, splash a little arsenic in there and that wine will be tasty. <laughs> arsenic, but you're rolling the dice. Arsenic was also referred to as the powder of succession, quote unquote, as it helped many <laughs> ambitious princes to secure thrones. Fed in small amounts to a wet nurse, the poison could be expressed in breast milk and kill infant rivals. Oh, oh. how did they figure that out? That is that is I don't know. That is diabolical because <laughs> okay, so it's not strong enough to kill the wet nurse, right? Because she's a woman, right? Sure. But you got this little baby, yeah. little baby, uh, who's like sucking on the booby, and it's enough to kill them. Yeah. Well, and also you think of a baby, how fast are those suckers growing? Their bodies are all using lots of oxygen to yeah. grow and make more body. Oh, that is that is diabolical. There are some evil geniuses out there. Now, there's a couple of uh, interesting specific instances of arsenic poisoning I'd like to mention. Okay. In 1858, there was the Bradford Sweets poisoning. Okay. Now, like, Is it called this because it was like, oh, it's such a sweet poisoning. <laughs> yeah, it was the sweetest of all poisonings. Uh -huh. William Hardacre, a.k.a. Humbug Willie... Okay, that's a nickname. Sold sweets in Bradford, which were supposed to be made using peppermint oil, sugar, and gum. Okay. To save money, many who made sweets would use an inert material they called daft. Okay, because you'd be daft not to use it. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of sugar. Daft could be almost anything. Plaster of Paris, limestone. What? Sulfate of lime was was common. This is these are not things that I you want to eat in your candy, mm -hmm. right? Plaster this of Paris. This is used instead it's just, of sugar. Yeah. 
Yeah. I guess it's just filler. I mean, I guess if you're making a huge batch and they're turning into little tiny candies, you won't notice the plaster oh. of Paris in your candy. So maybe they would cut the sugar. They would actually have sugar. So yeah, they would have then sugar. then add yeah. in more plaster of Paris. Okay, yeah. I understand. It's just filler. Right. It's okay. like uh, cellulose at taco time. Okay. For one particular batch of lozenges, the manufacturer sent a lodger in his house to collect daft from the druggist. And the druggist's assistant was instructed to collect it from a cask in the corner of the cellar. But instead of daft, the assistant gave him arsenic trioxide. Oh. By mistake. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm a little worried that they have a cask of arsenic trioxide hanging in the, out in, in the, the cellar. Of the yeah, well, druggist. Yeah, that the assistant could go down there and mistake plaster of Paris for <laughs> arsenic, uh, arsenic trioxide. trioxide. You know, he was in 1858, he was ahead of his time on chemotherapy. That's a hell of a mistake. <laughs> So the manufacturer makes 12 pounds of arsenic with 40 pounds of sugar and 4 pounds of gum to make the sweets. Okay, wow. so there is still significant sugar in there. So yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. There's more sugar than arsenic. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, still, so should be fine, that, right? That became, yeah. eventually the became their, be their uh, motto. More sugar than arsenic. How, now with, with more sugar, I less get, arsenic. I guess everybody who took these probably had less cancer afterwards as a result. Oh, right? well, maybe. You know? like Any chemotherapy uh, sweets. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, by the way, these candies are now more than one-fifth arsenic. All right. That seems a lot. 40 yeah. pounds of lozenges were sold to Hardacre who tasted them and promptly became ill. <laughs> Regardless of this, Hardacre sold five pounds of the sweets from his market stall the first Wait, night. hold on a second. Yeah. So... He got the candy. He went, hmm, I'm going to have one of my candies. Yep. Popped it in his mouth. Felt very sick. Yeah. And then went, well, got to bring home the bacon. <laughs> got to sell these. He's got rent to pay. Yep. <laughs> he sold five pounds of the sweets from his market stall the first night, which caused the deaths of 20 people with a further 200 or so becoming severely ill. Originally, mm. the first deaths were thought to be owing to cholera. Oh, God, cholera. He had, he had at least 220 customers the first night. That was pretty good. Oh, that is pretty good. But the growing number of casualties soon showed that the purchase of lozenges from Hardacre's stall was the cause. Mm -hmm. Experts estimated that each humbug contained between 11 and 16 grains of arsenic, with 4.5 grains being a lethal dose. Oh. So uh, more than twice the lethal dose in a humbug candy. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so suck it slowly. <laughs> Don't chew. Share it. Share. It. Then you just have to share it with two and a half other people, and uh, and you'll all be fine. I, I, I kind of hope that it'll be like a candy outside, and then like a sweet arsenic center. Oh right. How many licks to the center of the arsenic candy? <laughs> and can you stop? Two. Can you stop? <laughs> yeah. Two. Well, the good news is the tragedy and resulting public outcry was a major contributing factor to the Pharmacy Act of 1868, which recognized the chemist and druggist as the custodian and seller of named poisons. So what they're mm -hmm. saying is they put a label on the cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> named poisons being uh, medicine, uh, what was medicine was formerly known. Yeah, okay. Named Come and poisons. get your named poisons. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's a whole other meaning in today's day and age, that's for sure. The requirement for record keeping and to obtain the signature of the purchaser purchaser is currently upheld under the Poisons Act of 1972 so, for non-medicinal poisons. All right. The the 18th and 19th centuries were when we started to figure out how to actually pull out the chemicals that are in these natural organisms so that we would get really concentrated versions of the active chemicals. Yeah. And when that happened, there was no laws about it. Right. Nobody had laws. Like, that's why cocaine was added to Coca-Cola and, yeah, and everything. Because right. they're like, oh, cool, whatever. That's all natural. And we just extracted it. And then mm -hmm. people die. Yeah. And they go, oh, we should make some laws. Oh, there's some natural this. stuff that's not good for us. Huh. Mm -hmm. Well, and actually a lot of the natural, air quote, natural stuff uh, that's coming out of biological organisms can be exceptionally poisonous. Because like we've been talking about with these neurotoxins, they look sort of kind of iffy, maybe kind of like the stuff we already have in our bodies that have specific jobs to do. Right. Yeah. Right. And so if they're the closer that they are to those things, the more that they can interfere with those jobs and mm. cause horrific effects. Now, much more recently, a study published in the British medical journal, The Lancet, found that tens of millions of people in Bangladesh have been exposed to poisonous levels of arsenic from contaminated groundwater. Tens of millions? Yes. Bangladesh has struggled with arsenic in its water supply since a disastrous campaign in the 1970s to bring clean water to the country backfired horribly... Well, hold on. If you go out with your intention of getting ah. clean water to the population and you end up with arsenic water instead, I think it backfired might be an understatement. <laughs> well, it backfired horribly. Horribly. <laughs> horribly. Okay. All right. 
Millions of tube wells were drilled to provide villages with clean water, but many of them were dug into shallow layers of ground that had naturally occurring arsenic, uh, which contaminated the entire water supply. So, lesson learned, everybody. Don't lick Bangladesh. If you can avoid it. If you're in Bangladesh, they have naturally occurring arsenic in the soil. The study found that as many as 77 million people, half the population of Bangladesh, may have been exposed to toxic levels of arsenic. The World Health Organization has called it the largest mass poisoning of a population in history. I would say so. I would. I, you're not going to beat 77 million. I mean, oh. that's more than 70 countries around the world have issues with arsenic in their groundwater, including the U.S. Oh, okay. There's a little map we can put on the website about uh, arsenic concentration in uh, samples across the United States. Oh, wow! From oh, the yeah. EPA to go to causticsodapodcast.com and check it out. It's color coded and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, from arsenic to Kerrari. Curare. 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 That's a bit of a stretch. It has cure right in it, right? Yeah. So it's going to be good for you, right? Right? But if you're hungry. Yeah. Okay. But it's followed oh. by rare, if you really look at it. Cure, <laughs> rare. <laughs> the curare is a mixture of various South American natural toxins and is used primarily on poison arrows and blowgun darts. Mm. One of the main ingredients is an extract of the plant Condodendron tomentosum. The main poison is an alkaloid, which causes paralysis and death. We know about that. Death by curare is relatively slow and horrific, as the victim is awake and aware but cannot move or even speak. <laughs> oh, well, yes. wow. A little locked-in so, body syndrome? You bet. This this uh, toxin, well, it's okay, a, a, a mix of toxins. To all you listeners out there, you cannot see Dr. Jenna's smile. <laughs> but she is grinning from ear to ear, and that's why we love her. Uh, maybe I'm just having some kind of facial tick. <laughs> yeah, know. maybe you've been poisoned yes. by uh, strychnine, and that's oh, like your didn't muscles I mention are that as a special oh. bonus to this episode, I poisoned one of your drinks. <laughs> <laughs> My coffee cup's closed. I feel it's not me. Uh, um, so this is that was me dying. Oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is another one of those alkaloid neurotoxins, and it inhibits the neuromuscular junction, but it can't cross the blood-brain barrier. So There's means a blood-brain barrier? There oh, yeah. is, and certain mm-hmm. chemicals can go across this membrane into the brain, and certain ones can't. And so this is the difference between chemicals that can have some kind of psychological effects and those that don't. Okay. And so going through these, sometimes you'll see, you know, some of the chemicals will cause hallucinations right. and that kind of thing, and other ones will be more just the muscular contractions or, uh, in this case, paralysis. Uh-huh. So when we talked about strychnine, we talked about how, you know, all the muscles are just... You know, seizing. they're disinhibited, basically, yeah. just seizing up and convulsing and going crazy. This is the opposite. So in this case, it inhibits the receptor on the neuromuscular junction that tells the muscles to go. Right. Okay. But it doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier. So your your brain and your thinking, everything is completely intact. Okay. But your muscles stop working. And the thinking process is... I'm fucked, I'm fucked, I'm fucked, I'm fucked, I'm fucked, And even the the muscles like that control the movements of your eyeballs and that kind of thing get paralyzed. What? So you cannot So whatever you give... were looking at last before you got... <laughs> so so you're, you're, you're looking statue. at for the rest of your life. Yeah, and you cannot... Blink. You, and you cannot signal to anyone that you're conscious. Right. So oh, you can't you... do the old Morse code with the eyeballs. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Or do the like look around or blink twice or whatever. No, 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 no. <laughs> You understand that this is going downhill, that you can't move, that each one of your body systems is, well, each of your your muscular systems is turning off. Mm -hmm. You cannot do anything and you cannot let anyone know about it. Do they turn off one at a time? Like, do you start with your toes and then you're like, hey, wait a minute, my toes are, whoa, my ankle's not working. Whoa, knee, what the, my knee bone's connected to my curare. I hope so. Yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> I envision just every suddenly in an instant everything freezing up, and you and all the listeners at home, whatever you're looking at right now, that's the thing you're looking at. Oh, until so it's the like that die. kids game until where you like you, you all become statues, right? And it's like you know. <laughs> well, and this is really really similar to the active ingredient in poison hemlock and how mm. it does its action, except that uh, for curare, it has no effect orally. So that's why they used it as far as poisoning arrows and that right. kind of thing, because it does nothing to the meat and it does nothing to the taste of the meat. And so you can eat anything that's poisoned with this, but it has to penetrate the skin and either go into the blood or into the muscles in order to have effect. So that's why if you see a poison arrow lying on the ground, you can taste it. You can. You can lick it. You can lick it to see. <laughs> oh, okay. Do not lick it if you have open wounds in your mouth. And okay. don't lick it too hard because that arrow is kind of pointy. Right. <laughs> so can I? 
just say don't lick a poison arrow? <laughs> well, you want to know uh, if it's poison or if, not. If you do and you want to sue Caustic Soda, don't sue me. Uh, don't, don't lick a poison arrow. Just like uh, Alfred Molina in the Unless beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Precisely. But then he spat it out. Uh-huh. So He knew he had, had a big gash in the back of his throat. So uh, because of all this, it kind of makes sense that for medicinal purposes in highly diluted form, Curare has been adapted for use as a muscle relaxant during surgeries. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, a little makes bit. perfect sense. A little bit of it. And okay. how about this one for a, throw you for a loop? If you do artificial respiration on somebody who is suffering from Curare poisoning and perform it until the poison subsides, that's the best chance for survival. Yes. Oh. And so there's a few reasons for this. And one of the fact is one of them is because it doesn't cross the blood brain barrier. So your central nervous system is OK. The other thing is you have three muscular sort of systems, mechanisms in your body. You have skeletal muscle, which is all the muscles that you can move um, voluntarily. So fingers, toes, arms, eyeballs, etc. Right. You have your smooth muscle, which is your Ooh. intestines and uh, arteries and uh, most of the things that you don't really pay attention to and you don't consciously control. Right. And, and then, they, they contribute to being smooth. Well, especially like if you're not having intestinal backups, that makes you significantly more smooth. Yeah. But um, <laughs> you also have cardiac muscle. And so all of these have slightly different chemical signals that control them and slightly different mechanisms. So this particular one affects skeletal muscle, which includes you know all the muscles that you can move voluntarily, but doesn't right. affect your heart very much. So if you do artificial respiration... Mm-hmm. Um, then it keeps the oxygen moving in and out of your lungs so that you're able to do that. The heart continues pumping and you're set. So you could actually do this as a fun little locked out of your body experiment with some friends and some oxygen. Oh, they did that. Did they? Yeah. I, I can't remember whether Let's it was members it. of the military or members of someone else. But yeah, they, they knocked everybody out, uh, did an artificial respiration on them, and they were sort of terrified because, yeah, they could not let anyone know that they were conscious and they remained fully conscious and aware throughout the entire ordeal. Did we just invent chemical bondage? Oh, there you go. This way you can't move. Don't worry, I'll make sure you breathe. Uh Uh-huh. It's a dangerous game to play. How do you give up (laughs) your safe word when you can't move any muscles? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Your safe word is... (sighs) I feel the need to go and invest in respirators. Ricin. Ricin is a protein that is naturally found in castor beans. It is so powerful that the U.S. Center for Disease Control estimates the lethal dose in humans about the size of a grain of salt, or 500 micrograms. Okay. Ricin is poisonous if inhaled, injected, or ingested. It inhibits protein synthesis. I think that's what we've already been talking about with the amino acid stuff. Yep. So ricin is poisonous Anyway, and all the three ways you can you can be poisoned. So don't lick a poisonous arrow if it's been poisoned with ricin. And don't inhale correctly. it. Correctly. Uh, from inhalation, symptoms from ricin inhalation would include coughing, <laughs> shortness of breath, <laughs> and nausea. Ooh. <laughs> Fluid. <laughs> Thanks for explaining what those were. <laughs> Fluid would accumulate in the lungs. Fever and excessive sweating would be likely. Low blood pressure and respiratory failure would lead to death. Mm. Eating or drinking ricin will produce cramping, vomiting, bloody diarrhea leading to extreme dehydration, bleeding from the stomach and intestines. The victim may experience hallucinations, seizures, and bloody urine. Eventually, usually after several days, the liver, spleen, and kidneys fail, and death results from organ failure. Okay. 
Rice and injected produces swelling and pain in the muscles and lymph nodes near the site of injection. As the poison works its way outward, internal bleeding occurs and death results from multiple organ failure. If we've learned anything so far, I hope it's that if we're dying from multiple organ failure, it's because we're influencing something that is a fundamental mechanism of how all our cells work. Right. So this is no different with ricin, except it's a completely different class of toxin that we've talked about so far. We've talked about the small molecules, like the alkaloids that act like neurotransmitters, little chemical signals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've talked about some metallic poisons and that kind of thing. This one is an active enzyme. So it actually is a little cellular machine that does something to actively screw you over. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's like attacking you instead of just like, it you is. know, stopping your body from doing things. It is attacking you actively. So it has, it's actually made up of two protein components, an A chain and a B chain that are linked together. Uh-huh. The B chain gloms onto cells and makes it so that it is internalized into the cell because it needs to move into the cell to work. Right. So that's the whole job of the B chain is to get you in. Then the B chain, A chain, they call it splitsville. They, uh, the A chain? A chain and B chain. Okay. A and B. What's the A chain again? The A chain is the active enzyme that is going to attack. Okay. F your S up. It is. And what it does is, so in order to make proteins, you have all these little, well, they're actually pretty big machines inside your cells called ribosomes. And they're the ones that take all the amino acids and stitch them together into Mm -hmm. a chain that makes a protein. Okay. This is absolutely crucial. Without this, you have no proteins. Nothing can do anything. Your cells die. Okay. You just so, collapse into a pile of and fluid. And that's a bad thing? It is. Okay. All right. I just wanted to clarify. I wasn't and 100% so sure. The, the rice and toxin goes in and cleaves. Like it, it actually breaks apart part of this machine and completely inactivates it. Wait a minute. Hold on. I got focused on the one word. You say they're, they have cleavage? They do have cleavage. Oh, okay. Ricin yeah. has cleavage. You got to watch okay. it when you're a biochemist. Sometimes things go to the the trash in your email because they have the word cleavage in the oh, subtitle. Oh, okay. Uh, or in the subject line rather. What's really amazing about this is that one molecule, one tiny little particle of ricin toxin A in the cell can deactivate 1500 ribosomes per minute. Is that a lot? It's a lot. Well, <laughs> it sounds think like how a lot. fast it has to move. Like physically, it's a little thing cleaving another little thing, right? I don't know how close the ribosomes are together, though. <laughs> 1,500 per minute is still really fast okay. for one little thing. Uh, uh. So anyhow, it, it once it's in there, it is incredibly efficient, and it just, I wanted to say decimate, but it's not accurate. But, yeah. It just Destroys. wrecks your yeah. cell. Wrecks. Because the symptoms are caused by failure to make proteins, they emerge only after a variable delay from a few hours to a full day after exposure, which I'm assuming that is bad because then it's harder for you to figure out what happened. You lick your your arrow and go, that's fine. Yeah, and then a day later, everything starts to shut down. Yeah. Uh, Even amongst survivors, long-term organ damage is likely. Imagine that. Long-term organ damage, all right. Uh, Death typically occurs within three to five days of initial exposure. And the reason it takes a little while is so unlike the neurotransmitters where, you know, if you, if you have a, a messed up interaction there, you're going to notice that immediately because your se- muscle cells either going yes or no, forget you. Uh, whereas in this case, although we, we need all these proteins and we need them replenished, we already have a bunch because we're sitting here talking to mm-hmm. each other. And so then they get replenished on a variable scale depending on how fast certain organs are growing or renewing and that kind of thing and so you it takes a little bit for you to notice oh we have nothing in the pipeline like nothing's coming through yeah yeah it's like all of a sudden your pantry's empty and you don't know why (laughs) delayed reaction wasn't wasn't that uh soviet politician didn't he get a ricin capsule through an umbrella injection yes i think we talked about that in our assassinations episode and uh in fact and there was a ricin incident in japan that we talked about during our cult episode Mm -hmm. right uh but there's a notable uh, ricin incident that is very recent may 2013 uh, while going through divorce, U.S. actress Shannon Richardson accused her husband of mailing ricin to several politicians. Investigators quickly found that it was, in fact, Shannon Richardson that had mailed the ricin herself in an effort to set up her estranged oh. husband. Shannon Richardson was arrested for alleged connections with ricin-laced letters sent to politicians, including President Barack Obama and New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. But was she a good actress? Have you heard of her? What? <laughs> Maybe I have and forgot. <laughs> <clears throat> she was known for minor television and film roles and for her alleged involvement in Rice and Lace Letters. Oh, she's in the Vampire Diaries. Walking Dead, Vampire Diaries, and The Blind Side. Mm-hmm. What's next? Cyanide is any chemical compound that contains monovalent combining group CN. This group, known as the Cyano Group, 
consists of a carbon atom triple bonded to a nitrogen atom. That sounds good. Triple bonded? Triple bonding. Yeah. Triple bondage? Uh-huh. Triple bondage. <laughs> you know, That's he's... ankles, uh, knees, and wrists. I don't know how you play. I don't, I don't play at all. Uh, <laughs> hydrogen cyanide gas, certainly not with triple bonded nitrogen and carbon atoms. Uh, hydrogen cyanide gas has been used for judicial executions in parts of the United States. Okay. Cyanide is generated by a reaction between potassium cyanide dropped into sulfuric acid oh. in a compartment directly below the chair in the gas chamber. Okay. Zyklon B was the trade name of a cyanide-based pesticide invented in the early 1920s, but infamous for its later use by Nazi Germany in the gas chambers of extermination camps during the Holocaust. Zyklon B consisted of hydrogen cyanide, a stabilizer, a warning odorant, and one of several adsorbents. So this is another one of those things that inhibits our ability to, well, the ability of our cells, our mitochondria, which, you know, these are the, the chemical factories, the really? energy factories of our cells. So it inhibits the ability of our cells to use oxygen to make energy again. So we end up with very wide ranging effects across all kinds of systems because we can't use the oxygen that we need. Mm -hmm. And also oxygen buildup in our body is a bad thing in and of itself. I mean, we think of oxygen as this wonderful thing that allows us to live. And it's true. But like anything, oxygen can be a toxin, too. Uh -huh. And there's so much chemistry happening in our cells and in our bodies that if you have an excess of oxygen, you get an increase of the productivity of what's called reactive oxygen species. Mm -hmm. And so these are uh, sort of more reactive oxygen than the, you know, O2 that we're used to uh -huh. um, that can actually cause damage to all kinds of other cellular components. Because, because the physical manifestation of this is you expand like a balloon? It is not. You blow up like a balloon and you float away? It is not. How, That'd be no? fun, though. Oh. It'd be easier to diagnose someone that, you know, was suffering from cyanide Bro. poisoning. Cyanide doesn't turn you into a human balloon. No, its major effect is that you you can't produce energy from oxygen, and which means that you can't really do much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a uh, that's not a winning formula. No, that's not going to end well. You just take a nap, <laughs> really? a long, Dirt long nap. nap. Uh, you know, uh, interesting. Like cyanide, uh, through all the research, I didn't actually see any examples of cyanide being having a kind of a that that sort of flip side of the coin, the curative effect. Oh, cures crime because they use it to kill people. Right? <laughs> I guess that's Isn't true. That it? Dimethylmercury is an organomercury compound. This colorless liquid is one of the strongest known neurotoxins. It's described as having a slightly sweet smell, although inhaling enough vapor to detect this odor would be hazardous to your health. Right. So, <laughs> I smell, oh, I stop. I'm not smelling anymore. I'm just not doing anything. I'm dying. Mercury, um... It actually has something to do with oxygen as well, but in a different way. So we talked about those reactive oxygen species. Uh -huh. And our body, because we use oxygen, is constantly combating these chemicals that could cause us damage. And that's, we do this by um, antioxidants, basically things that uh, react with these reactive oxygen species and make them more safe for that's our bodies. blueberries, right. I hear. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, there's antioxidants in many 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 things especially many dark colored things and oh, i don't know okay. that much about antioxidants but we our body are, makes their own and we also can ingest them i know there are antioxidants in that berry acai from the amazon basin oh yeah mm -hmm. lots of that people might forget about that soon you never know oh yeah um yeah. <laughs> but the uh mercury what it does is inhibit some of the key enzymes that we have to combat these dangerous oxidative species. So it inhibits the antioxidation process, which means that you have a buildup of all these really dangerous uh, reactive level? oxygen species. Yeah. <laughs> you bet. Toxic. Yeah. And so that's one of the main ways that mercury hurts us. Well, we can talk about a specific case. On August 14th, 1996, Karen Wetterhahn, a toxicologist and professor of chemistry at Dartmouth College, spilled a drop of dimethylmercury on her hand, but she was wearing latex gloves. Oh, so no problem. No problem, right? Gloves. No problemo? Uh, no. Dimethylmercury passes through latex, PVC, butyl, and neoprene within seconds oh. and gets absorbed through the skin. Okay. Therefore, most laboratory gloves do not provide adequate protection from it, and the only safe precaution is to handle dimethylmercury while wearing highly resistant laminated gloves underneath long-cuffed neoprene heavy-duty gloves. Whoa, that's a lot of gloves. A long face shield and work under a fume hood are also indicated as necessary. I wear that all the time anyway. Five months after Wetterhahn uh, spilled the dimethylmercury on her hand, she began stumbling into doors and slurring her words. Five months? Yeah. 
That's a long time. After three weeks in a hospital, she slipped into a coma. One of her postdoctoral students described visiting her in the hospital and seeing that she was thrashing about. Her husband saw tears rolling down her face. I asked if she was in pain, but the doctor said it didn't appear that her brain could even register pain anymore. Uh, uh, Karen Wetterhahn died. Oh, it's there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Karen Wetterhahn died five months later at 48 years old. The mercury had, and I quote, devoured her brain cells like termites eating away for months. Oh, yeah. So we might need a new word for that kind of pain. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think pain's going to cover what that is. Yeah. Burrowing holes in your brain. As a note on the glove thing, as someone who's worked in a laboratory and been somewhat attacked by a glove, uh, it, <laughs> you were attacked by a glove. <laughs> well, I'll I'll tell you the story. Okay. But uh, there there's lots of different kinds of gloves that you can use, and everyone sort of you know lots of people just use one type of glove and assume that they're being uh, protected by everything, but there are all kinds of different toxins that have different penetration ratios for different right. kinds of gloves. And so, you know, working with acids versus working with some of the other toxins you use in gels, you should pretty much change your gloves. And as I learned, you should change your gloves if working with flame. Okay. Because if you're wearing nitrile gloves, public service announcement, mm -mm. and working with flame and accidentally get a little bit of flaming ethanol on your glove, you will have that glove might burst into flame, and then you have a flaming glove instead of... <laughs> <laughs> and quickly a flaming hand. And quickly a flaming hand, yeah. Uh -huh. so, and then so the two become one. Turns out I'm a good healer, so okay. <laughs> I don't have a giant scar, but... All right, no. so Dr. Jenna Mochaccina Wolverine. Yes, yeah. yes, like that. If I have another Mercury story, if we're not tired of talking about Mercury yet. Who's ever tired ever? of tar talking about Mercury? <laughs> uh, the 1971 Iraq poison grain incident. Ooh. Grain treated with methyl mercury fungicide, never intended for human consumption, was imported into Iraq as seed grain from Mexico and the U.S. The properties of mercury make it a very successful fungicide, but its health risks were already well known in the Western world. Methyl mercury had been banned in Sweden in 1966 and the U.K. in 1971. Previous mercury poisoning incidents had already occurred in Iraq in 1956 and 1960. And among the recommendations made after the 1960 incident had been to color any toxic grain for easy identification. Okay. Drought had reduced harvests. What's in the most poisonous color you can imagine? Uh, it's like green. But green's oh. nature. Yeah. Oh, shit. Purple. I think, I think they dyed them red or orange. I think uh, the grain was it the dyed red. Dye that was toxic. No, no, no. They <laughs> coated the grain in uh, in mercury as a fungicide. As a fungicide, so to keep it, you know, preserved. And they said, so people know this is coated in fungicide. We'll put some dye on it. That's right. Color it red, and then if you plant it in the earth and grow it into grain, the mercury that's on the outside of the seed doesn't right. transfer to okay. the plant, and uh -huh. you can eat that grain and all the rest of that stuff, and no harm, no foul. Just don't eat the seed grain. Right. The, it was a pink-orange hue is what they used. Oh, pink-orange. Uh, some 95,000 tons of grain were shipped. Uh, I would do it black and white stripes. Warnings on the sacks were in Spanish and English or included black and white skull and crossbones design. Oh, there we go. But this symbol meant nothing to rural Iraqis. Oh, what? Uh, okay, wait, 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 wait. What kind of society do you have to be in that the skull and crossbones means exactly nothing? It means pirates. I guess, yeah, well, <laughs> Iraq, they don't have a lot of pirates, They right? still have skulls. Well, sure. not in 1971, I guess. Could be a logo. Uh -huh. Could mean yeah. eat this or die. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows how these crazy Americans communicate. Exactly. Some farmers fed the grain to their animals, who appeared to be fine, and over time, much of the red dye washed off the grain, but the mercury did not. These two factors oh, combined no. may have given many farmers a false impression of removing the poison. As a result, many farmers began to use the grain for personal consumption, grinding it up for bread. Yum. The effect of mercury took some that, time. That uh, pink-orange bread I love so much. <laughs> Uh, the latent period between ingestion and the first symptoms, typically paresthesia, numbness in the extremities, was between 16 and 38 days. Duh. Okay. So it became pretty widespread before it got caught. And you could be eating this stuff for that long, yeah, too. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so when it became apparent what the cause of the epidemic was, the Iraqi army ordered disposal of the grain and declared the, de the death penalty for anyone found selling it. Whoa. By mercury. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so farmers started dumping dumping their supply of uh, poison grain wherever possible, and soon mercury got into the water supply. Oh. Of course it did. Uh, particularly the Tigris River, and which caused even further problems. Over 6,500 patients were admitted to hospital with poisoning and 459 deaths reported, although this number is certainly an underestimate. Oh. Some Iraqi doctors believe both the number of cases and fatalities are at least 10 times too low, oh. with an estimated 100,000 cases of brain damage. 
One suggested reason for the vast discrepancy between reported and estimated numbers of death is the custom for a person to die at home whenever possible, sure. and home deaths would not have been recorded. Oh, okay. It's a secret. Don't tell them they died in the home. That's private business. <laughs> in infants, mercury poisoning caused central nervous system damage, which led to an outbreak of quiet baby syndrome. <laughs> syndrome of all though yeah, yeah you'd be every parent wants quiet baby syndrome <laughs> yeah it's characterized by a baby who never cries but it is it is indicative of brain damage oh okay <laughs> oh for it. some people going through certain phases of child rearing i feel so, they'd be like fair nah. trade <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's a little brain damage if i can get to sleep one night in like two or three years that is, you know, kind of a lesser of two evils. I mean, they're going to be brain damaged when they in their teens when they take all those drugs anyway. So oh, oh okay, so you're preemptively. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're not so fun drugs. Of course, crying babies like babies cry for reasons. Uh-huh. You know, they're telling no, you they something. Don't. They're telling <laughs> they're you telling something. They're telling you they're whiny. And as a parent, you're supposed to pay attention. So then silence is, they're, they're telling you I've been poisoned by mercury? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so always wake your babies. Silence is, is that baby never tells you that it needs its diaper change, that it never needs to eat, that it never uh-huh. wants attention. It's just lying there. Oh, for, from now on, whenever I'm at a place of friends who has a baby and they're not crying, I'll be like, are you poisoned? Are you poisoned? Are you poisoned? Until you poisoned it cries. Mercury? Poisoned? And then as soon as it cries, you know, you're, that you're it has set. poison, you're, like, you're good go, to go. Check, no mercury Next poisoning. time you make a baby cry, oh, don't worry, I was just checking it for mercury poisoning. Yeah, it's <laughs> fine. You know what you have? In that case, you you like in those bathrooms where they put the little checklist on the back of the bathroom door to say when they cleaned it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you just like, when I checked for mercury poison, you just like kind of put a time, right? Cry. Just like, check, cry. You get a little cry. stamp that's yeah. a, like a little stamp of a baby crying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just like a little happy face, little only cr- it's like a crying and squinty got, eyes. Yeah, and, squinty eyes and tears going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah, precisely. So when I was in high school, my high school chemistry teacher had a newspaper clipping that was up on the wall, and I wasn't able to find the story, but... I, it was a newspaper clipping, not creative story. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a town where there was a, an industrial building that had closed down. And some teenagers broke into it. And they found some drums, like the big... Okay. Yeah. What are they, like 40-gallon drums of mercury. So they thought to Elemental themselves... mercury, which is the, the shiny, fun, right. exciting-looking oh, liquid. Like, right. so stuff they, that goes in the thermometers. Yes. So they sit there and think to themselves, you know, if we paint each other with this, we'll oh, go fast. You're so close. Well, like, Honestly, <laughs> this oh, is yeah? a really bad story. Oh, wow. Let's take I don't a swim think that, in it. Yeah, I don't think that these were the best chemistry students because right. they did not know what it was. They're just like, sweet, metallic liquid, awesome. And we're going to become Terminators. They we're going to be Terminator 1000s. They took one of the drums and they like splashed around in one of the guy's bedrooms and they like poured it on the floor and like sloshed around uh, in it. They dipped their cigarettes in it and uh, smoked, smoked it. Smoked it. <laughs> Good Lord. So things not to do this with 40 is, gallon drums of mercury. This is a Darwin Award if I've ever heard it one. Is. Oh my yeah, gosh. Absolutely. When did yeah. this happen? Must have been sometime in the 80s. Oh, okay. okay. Right. So at least they Before didn't we have, knew about mercury. At least they didn't have <laughs> smartphones in their pocket where yeah. they could go, what is this and is it dangerous? <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, you know what they do? They'd Instagram, take a photo of it and like, yeah. what do people think about this? Looks pretty cool, huh? How fun an afternoon did those kids have? You know, yeah. they're sloshing around in liquid metal that sort of doesn't, it beads off your skin and skitters away and rolls and sloshes. It'd be so fun. Yeah. yeah. Right up until the brain damage. Yeah. Yeah. Which probably would have been with sloshing Relatively that, rapid on that, yeah. I guess. I, yeah. feel that the, I feel the same way about skydiving and your parachute not going out. It's probably <laughs> really fun until that brain damage at the end when your brain hits the ground. Uh-huh. Fall, it's a sudden stop. Chemotherapy is the treatment of cancer with one or more cytotoxic antineoplastic drugs. Cytotoxic means it causes cell death, and antineoplastic means that it targets plastics, uh, plasms, which okay. is uh, cancers. So mm-hmm. it basically means cell-killing anti-cancer drug. Okay. It is often used in conjunction with other cancer treatments, such as radiotherapy or surgery. Traditional chemotherapeutic agents act by killing cells that divide rapidly. We talked about that before when they... Uh, use the oxygen, Mm -hmm. one of the main properties of most cancer cells. This means that chemotherapy also harms cells that divide rapidly under normal circumstances, cells in the bone marrow, digestive tract, and hair follicles. This Ah. results in the most common side effects of chemotherapy, decreased production of blood cells, inflammation of the lining of the digestive tract, and hair loss. Uh Some newer anti-cancer drugs are not indiscriminately cytotoxic, but rather target proteins that are abnormally expressed in cancer cells and that are essential for their growth. Such treatments are often referred to as targeted therapy. 
Well, that sounds like a better choice. And targeting of drugs either to cancer cells, which is a big one, or targeting to other pathogens that are in our body are, is a huge area of development in generally in pharmaceuticals right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the drugs that we use aren't actually all that targeted, like most of the mm-hmm. small molecule drugs and stuff. That's why you have recommended doses, because again, you go over that, suddenly you have serious toxicity. Right. So using... This is kind of a mantra for this episode. Yes. Dosage. Yes. Dosage. Dosage. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Well, for most of it, there's the odd one. It's like, yeah, you should probably just stay away from that. But... uh... Meaning the dosage is super low. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 500 micrograms in the case of ricin, for instance. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> the chemotherapy that is more traditional, yeah, targets those fast-growing cells. And there aren't that many areas of our body that grow that quickly, unlo- mm. except for small children, which I'm guessing, although I don't know that much about it, probably really complicates use of this type of therapy in pediatric cancers. Right. Uh, which is one of the reasons why that has to be a separate area of study. It's sort of mm-hmm. a, a different, um, a different dynamic, yeah, yeah, that's going on. But I mean, the the bone marrow is where all of your red blood cells—well, ce- not only your red blood cells, but all of your blood cells are produced. And those go through you. You run through tons of those suckers, and you need to replace them constantly, or else mm-hmm. you can't carry oxygen. You can't fight infection. You can't do anything. And so. Um, it's those type of systems where you have this constant, 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 you know, proliferation of new cells, new cells, new cells, where it's going to be affected by chemotherapeutic agents that are also trying to get at the cancer cells. Right. Leon Fleischer was one of the world's premier concert pianists in 1965. He'd had his first public recital at eight, a performance with the New York Philharmonic at Carnegie Hall at 16. And he was rehearsing at 37 years old when he noticed the fourth and fifth fingers on his right hand curled under involuntarily and he couldn't straighten them out. Uh-oh. That would be that bad for a concert for pianist. A, for a pianist? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He saw orthopedists, neurologists, hand surgeons, psychiatrists. There were injections, x-rays, medications, acupuncture, aromatherapy. Smashing Nothing worked. with a hammer? <laughs> Straighten <laughs> that shit out. I, I don't know if he necessarily Massage tried that. Massage therapy? He's quoted as saying, it was as if my hand had been taken over by aliens. It was not <laughs> under my control. <laughs> After decades, a diagnosis finally emerged. Decades. Fleischer, decades. Uh, Fleischer was wow. afflicted with focal dystonia, a misfiring of the brain that causes muscles to contract into abnormal and sometimes painful positions. This disorder often strikes those who depend on small motor skills, musicians, writers, surgeons. He was referred to clinical trial at the National Institute of Health. And what does this have to do with toxicity? I don't know. Botulinum toxin was being tested as a remedy for the disabling contraction. If this disorder often strikes people that depend on fine motor skills, I mean, that makes it sound like it's just out of spite. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your brain is like, screw you. You played enough piano already. Oh, my already. goodness. Stop painting those miniatures. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was aimed right at Torn. Yeah, totally squarely was. at Torn. Yeah. <laughs> So to clarify, I feel that it's probably because those are used so often. It has something to do with that mechanism. Yeah, your brain is just like, I'm so <laughs> over this. Here, let's just cramp his hand up. No more piano for him. Uh, <laughs> we call this asshole brain syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Botulinum toxin is produced from the bacterium Clostridium botulinum, one of the most poisonous substances known. A gram of botulinum toxin, if dispersed and ingested, could kill 20 million people. Whoa. The toxin produces a protein that blocks the release of acetylcholine, a transmitter that tells a muscle to contract. In extremely dilute form, it has proved effective and safe in medical applications, ranging from the softening of wrinkles in the form of Botox to the relief of migraines to a cure for crossed eyes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I totally, well, because your eyes are held in place by muscles, right? Absolutely. To a treatment for spastic contractions of multiple sclerosis and cerebral palsy and. Obviously, focal dystonia as well. Focal dystonia. Botulinum toxin relieves symptoms without curing the condition. So Fleischer receives an injection every six months. He is performing and touring again and recently released his first two-handed recording in 40 years. Now, botulinum causes botulism? Yes. It's the same toxin that's associated with that and is associated with, you know, when you have your your canned goods that you don't heat up and then eat and, you know, Mm -hmm. toxic. 
And the mechanism of this is interesting because it's also a neurotoxin, but instead of blocking a receptor, yeah. it actually blocks the other side of it. So it gets inside the nerve cell and oh. stops it from releasing the neurotransmitter oh. to the next cell. So it gets oh, okay. it, it, it hits it at the source. It does. Right. And so it destroys that part of it. What's also really interesting about botulinum and and you know because we like our our baby syndromes this leads to limp baby syndrome oh okay uh, okay <laughs> which right. is because your your body your your babies go all all you know all right. limp and flaccid yeah yeah because uh, their noodle? muscles yes baby wet noodle syndrome, syndrome. i think just didn't have quite the same <laughs> ring as limp but this is uh, something that you can get if your babies are eating unpasteurized honey. Because oh. honey often has botulism spores in it. Oh. And okay. the spores are not toxic to adults because they can't germinate inside our bodies, but okay. they can germinate inside babies' bodies. And so once the bacteria so are active and producing toxin, right. that's when you have a problem. Do we know why they affect babies but not adults? I think it has something to do with the acidity of the digestive tract, but oh, that's okay. uh, an educated guess. All right. Mm -hmm. but yeah. So if you've got a quiet, limp baby... <laughs> you probably have two different toxins at work. World hurt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But you know what? I mean, it is uh, the um, the toxin is conveniently named because then if you look at it, you go, ah, he's got botulinum. Oh, I see. <laughs> right in him. Tune in next week for the exciting conclusion to this episode of Caustic Soda. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while eating morphine-laced Oreos. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, at Caustic Podcast, or email us at info at causticpodcast.com. I'm Sean Campbell. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Should we mention that I'm a biochemist? Uh, we could have talked about your bi your bona fides. Uh, we've done it a lot. You've, you've yeah. done it a lot. Okay. Everybody knows Dr. Cool. Jenna. We're good.